Hey, welcome to this episode of Zen Mama in the Addict. I'm Mary. And I'm Kate. So let's see, it's the last day, no, a couple more days in November. Yeah, can you believe it? Where the heck did November go? We all love November, don't we? Oh my gosh. November's a hard month, right? Yeah, the second half of October and November are rough. I mean, for our family, relapses happen during this time of year. There's been a couple deaths in the family this time of year. This is when the kids transitioned and started staying with you guys. So I think for yeah. them, even it brings up a lot that they don't yeah. really understand that it's bringing up. Right. So they're that off. energy. But I, I don't think we're alone. I think it's a hard time of year for a lot of people. I've witnessed I it around me. And then, you know, with COVID and our numbers are going yeah. up. Yeah. That's scary in itself. Puts everybody in a, you know, their energies are off for that. Yeah. I mean, I think we all are having to work really hard to stay positive and hopeful. Um, and find new ways of being. Mm-hmm. So Thanksgiving happened. Yeah, which I find was like my favorite Thanksgiving. And I don't know if that's due to not going anywhere. Because um, when I had the kids, it was like we were going to... Um, we have a big three, family. Yeah. We have a big I, family. I was going to their parents um, or his parents, you, yeah. you guys, and then to my grandmother's. Yeah. That's so at the end of the day, you'd end up doing it for everybody else to see the children. And you're just like, well, wait a minute. I didn't I'm even, exhausted. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually eat anything. So <laughs> great. Right. But we Start. had, I mean, there's nine of us that live here. So we still had a lot of family. Yeah. Um, uh, so with our 40 pound yes, turkey. Guys, yes. somebody gave us, somebody <laughs> raised a turkey that was enormous. 40 yeah. pounds, if you can Crazy. believe it. Crazy. So they gave it to us because they just, everyone assumes yeah. we can handle a 40 pound turkey. I had you sit on the cooler to get it to shut when we put it in there a couple of days prior <laughs> to it. It was very generous. I mean, I don't even was, eat meat, yeah. but, and I, it was I don't good. know. Okay. It was good for, but more than anything, I guess it, it, this is what happened for me as I woke up that morning and, um, thinking about all the food that we had and thinking of all the people struggling, um, and I just wished we had had a way to share. Yeah, I agree. Because this was the first year that it really actually came even into my mind about thinking about the people that didn't have it. I guess in past years, I've just been so like about myself or whatever that it never really crossed my mind that much. Mm. And this year, a couple of times that week leading up to it, it did enter my mind yeah. of how many people that didn't have places to go or didn't have or were food alone. or alone. Yeah. And it, it does. It I guess being from such a large family, it's just kind of I've been blessed with that and I don't even really have to think about it. Yeah. You know? I've right. been really lucky. It is a time I think we're all thinking of each other more and if there's no blessings that have come out of COVID but that, um, that is a good one. We're a little more aware of this shared struggle that we're all in. Yeah. Yep. So going into the holiday season, for me, I'd really like us to think of of ways that we can reach out and help. There's a lot of people struggling right now. They've lost their jobs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which a lot of people, I think, that um, are in recovery, this is a really dangerous time for them because it's like their jobs maybe were their distraction from using and that's what made them feel good about themselves. Yeah. And so now you don't have your job, you're risking losing your you know, housing and all those things. So then it's just like you get the efforts really and yeah. um, that's scary. So right. it's like how can you not move into that space and stay in that positive space to move forward? You've told me you know a lot of people that have relapsed. I have a lot of people. Yeah. It's, it's really sad, the amount of people that I have spoke with. And, um, yeah. 
the relapse since COVID, it's like the number is at more than probably 70%. Yeah. So any of you that might be out there struggling or know people that are struggling, you know, let's just hold space for that. And I, um, I just want to share this idea based on my journey and, and just talking to the more and more people we talk to that it's easy to be reactive to people falling, um, relapsing, but you know, the best gift we can do is to just acknowledge it and say, how can I help support yes. your sobriety? Like, like how can really I help you? A great and way that, to put it. Yeah. And that way of, I mean, that's, what's important as yeah. I've learned is that you need to still feel loved and that you have a connection. Yeah, yeah, because when you feel all alone and in the dark, it just pushes you deeper into that mm-hmm. shame, and um, which pushes you deeper into the addiction. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a slippery slope. Definitely is. So what can we do? What's that one kind thing we can do? Um, oh, I heard, I don't know who I heard say this. Um Oh, I was on Saturday Night Live and it was a comedian, but he was really talking. He was, he was a black comedian and really speaking to a lot of the issues we're facing today. But he's just like, do that one nice thing for someone that you think doesn't deserve it. It's like, even if it's a, it was funny. That's funny. He's like, but... even if it's a kid selling crack on the corner, buy him an ice cream cone. He'll eat it. Right. You know, so. I get it though. It's just knowing that there's still kind people and there's still love in the world. Yeah. And we can, if we can put that out there, then it makes every other people want to put that out there. Right. It comes full circle. Right. Mm-hmm. Help people rise up. Exactly. Right. We really need to. And I think that COVID honestly has brought that a little bit. We were so absorbed in ourselves prior to COVID and it's really made us all take that step back. And mm-hmm. um, the more people I feel like that I'm meeting in recovery, even on the spiritual side of it, are more about lifting each other up. And I'm, I'm loving it because it's, I've always just been like, why do we all bring each other down? Like, right. I just don't understand it. And where is this community of people? And I really do you see it in this people that, you know, do the yoga and mindful and spiritual world. Cause I'm new to that all. Like yeah. mom's been walking in a little bit, but yeah. I've always been kind of, I've always been very intrigued by it, but resistant to do it. Mm. Speaking of which that leads us right into what we're both really excited about yes. our episode today. Very much so. I'm mm. very, very excited. Yeah. So our first interview who is with a lovely woman, Melody Joy. And, um, she is going to talk to us about her journey with addiction and all of the gifts she is bringing into the world um, because yeah. of who she is and because of her sobriety. Yeah. She just has like a beautiful soul and you can just feel it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you guys are in for a real treat. Um, and we're so excited to bring her to, into our community. Yes, definitely. So we'll get started. Hi, Melody. Hi, Mary. Hi, Kate. Hi. We're so excited to have you on um, today's show. Um, welcome to our community on Zen Mama and the Attic. We're very excited to have Melody Joy with us here today. Um, Melody, I met in Vermont, probably, I don't know, maybe five years ago or maybe a little bit more. Um, she was working as an ultrasound technologist in um, radiology with me. Um, but a minute I met her, I knew I wanted to um, know her better. She just has a sparkle in her and this energy she puts out into the world that I feel blessed to have come into my life. Um, she's a spiritual activator. Um, she's also an intuitive astrologer and a shaman. 
she shares her gifts in many ways, and I'm going to let her talk more about that during the podcast. But she um, has years of experience in both the metaphysical and the medical fields with a history of trauma, addiction, deep wounds of separation and abandonment. So lots of things to share as she, I know very authentically, um, travels through life and shares her gifts. And we're really excited to hear her story today and to have a conversation. So thank you, Melody. Yeah, it's a, a privilege and an honor to be here and to share this space with both of you ladies. Um, Mary, I have known you for a while and I feel very similar about you and the light that you share uh, with the world. And oh. you're definitely one of those magical communicators and holding this space is very powerful. And Kate, the pathway of addiction is um, can be very challenging and it's one that is is lifelong. And I think as a humanity right now, we are all recovering from the shadow of addiction in some way or another, yeah. whether it's with substance or something else. And, you know, for, for myself, um, this idea of addiction, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't really come to understand what it really was until I found myself grappling with substances in my mid twenties and unable to stop. And, um, it, it was out of the necessity of needing to, to stop this cycle of addiction that I really realized what, what I needed was um, a spiritual awakening, mm -hmm. a spiritual foundation. And um, I truly believe that all humans in physical form, what we get as, as the soul work um, of incarnation is this returning back to source or this returning back to unity with God or the divine as we understand him, her, she, it, and as an entity and, and really knowing that we are that, that we are that. And for me, I come from a biracial um, marriage. My father was African-American. He was born in 1908 and uh, my mother was Irish German and in her twenties when she met him. And so I think a lot of the birth of my personal addiction came out of this place of feeling different, of feeling like I didn't belong, of feeling um, outcasted in some way. And it was external because of the color of my skin and my, you know, father and, and, and mother's skin color. But it was also very much on an internal emotional level. And I've done um, a, a lot of research into addiction in addition to the 15 years that I've had in group recovery and um, some of the people that I really have loved and have been super insightful are um, like Gaber Mate, who is a physician who really has done a lot of work on the front lines with addiction and its birthplace is trauma. And ultimately it's the trauma of separation and that's, a trauma of separation can happen between mom and baby early, early on, where they're not necessarily overt ways of disconnecting or abuse. They can be very subtle. And when a child feels that separation where at attachment to mom or dad is disrupted in some fundamental way, it's this pre-verbal type of separation mm -hmm. that takes place. Mm -hmm. And it can lead 
um, to all sorts of ways to try to find that attachment again, like children with ADHD will bypass the trauma by using the attention to shift um, in a different direction, right? Because if they go back to being present and feeling that original separation wound, it's painful. Right. And for me, I there was physical abuse in childhood. And so that um, imprint on an emotional, physical level is you know, huge paradigms of consciousness that say, I'm not worthy. I deserve to be punished. I deserve to be abused. I'm unlovable. Mm -hmm. And from those spaces, who wouldn't want to self-soothe? And self-soothing takes a, you know, there's a myriad of ways that self-soothing can take place. You can be an addictive shopper or eater or um, compulsive romantic or codependent. And, and I, I was like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Fight Club, but I was like the woman in Fight Club where she goes to every kind of 12-step meeting. I was in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was in Narcotics Anonymous. I was in Codependency. I was in Al-Anon. I was in Overeaters Anonymous. I went because I felt like all of those things, I felt the separation in all of those ways. I felt the disconnection from God, wow. ultimately, in all of those ways. And that journey back to self especially um, when there's heavy trauma signatures like I, like I had. It was physical abuse. It was, you know, emotional abuse. It was, um, I want to talk a little bit about cultural abuse with epigenetics and everything that's arisen through Black Lives Matter. My father was born in 1908, and, and I can feel those signatures of yeah. racism and segregation in my cells, I can feel the shame of being of color. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like I have no, I mean, there are some circumstances in childhood that would say, oh, I have this because of, you know, some of the racism that I was exposed to growing up, but it's also on a much deeper energetic level. It's on a cellular DNA level yeah. that's coming through the line. So all of that coupled together, I was like, yes, give me anything to to self-soothe and pacify this feeling and anxiety of difference. Like I have to have it. I have to escape. I have to get out of here. Yeah. Um, and it's really, and that's what recovery has taught me. Instead of using substance to find relief, to find freedom, um, the freedom comes through surrender. The, the freedom comes through reactivating and walking through that pain. Um, to refeel that pain of separation. I have, um, I've done a lot of stuff in um, Alcoholics Anonymous. I've done lots of um, recovery and working with others in that group level. I found yoga when I was 18 and macrobiotics and I started teaching yoga and I was teaching yoga to groups of um, alcoholics. And, you know, I'd done my own research as like, you know, a 24 year old to see how the, the neural pathways can be reconfigured through meditation and through yoga. I mean, I was, that was a long time. I mean, that was, you, you know, were that was a while. Way before like, your time, girl. Right. Yeah. I know, was like 17 years ago. So they yeah. let me teach yoga to alcoholics at, you know, the Alano club. And that was one of the initial phases. But the thing about um, recovery is that it's lifelong and those trauma signatures for everyone that we feel, especially with epigenetics down the family line. And this is, be, this is beyond substance addiction. This is like, you know, um, this is the shadow and the wounds of humanity. Those deep shadows take a lifetime to unfold and to heal. And that's been my journey over the last 15 years. And 
the medical field, as I've been in the medical field where I met you, Mary, through ultrasound was I started to, in my yoga and meditation, also see the medical aspect of it. I went to massage school. I became a certified um, licensed massage therapist and started seeing how the anatomy and physiology, especially with Eastern medicine, really aligned with our emotions, right? And what's the liver, which is mostly in um, addiction uh-huh. and especially alcoholism is anger. And there's so much anger that never gets to be expressed. And what's underneath anger? This is Chinese medicine. Underneath the anger is grief. deep grief, deep sadness, deep pain, smoking comes from there. Um, Anything that's heart related, those are all, this is all the heart chakra. That's all that. And the heart chakra, I think, for all of humanity is the part of the body that's being exposed and healed right now from heart disease to lung disease, to the coronavirus, to, um, to, you know, to the liver and, you know, moving up into that center of ultimately how we give and receive the archetypes connected to this through astrology are cancer and gemini you know that's that's our giving and receiving of information and that um transducer i'm an ultrasound tech and we use yeah. transducers how we're the, the transducer of the, of the heart it emits frequency and we receive it and i my father was a psychic and an intuitive you know he was much older he and that my mom was so much younger and the dynamic of their relationship was spiritual. Like, why is this beautiful 22-year-old with this 70-year-old black man who has, like, no teeth and was living in a cockroach-infested apartment in Philadelphia? Uh-huh. My mother's family totally disowned her, uh-huh. totally disowned her when she met my father. But that union was very spiritual. And although my father suffered what I would say from addiction and trauma of epigenetics, of being a man of color, of only having a... Um, mother who raised him and, you know, a, a black woman raised, you know, a son with a, an iron fist. And that's what he did. He just did what, you know, he knew. Right. And, you know, so that was there. And I think he never had the opportunity to find recovery, but he did find spirituality. He spent like 30 years in prison. He was stealing for the mafia. And as a black man, it's like, once you're, you know, once you get caught, that's it, you're in prison for a long time and found the connection to God there. And, his gifts started to awaken. And so he would be talking to spirits, you know, in a room alone when I was a kid, I'd walk down and I'd kind of be like, whoa, what's going on here? And, um, and I started to come into that my, myself, um, through recovery, I started having these awakening moments. And the last five years of my life, I've been having Kundalini, which was, you know, I had to, I was like, why is my body shaking? Why am I speaking in tongues? Why can I feel and see what this person is thinking without them telling me? It was like, what's happening to me? And I would, I'd be like typing this stuff in on Google to see what's happening. And it was Kundalini. And that's that awakening. This was like, you know, the stuff that I was doing at 23 with addiction, I knew that there was something in yoga and meditation. I knew there was a gateway in the body that's inherent. I knew there was knowledge and wisdom in yeah. naturally built in, um, you know, our being. And that wisdom started to wake up in me and become my own teacher. And I have you know, I've done a lot of yoga, I've done a lot of spiritual retreats, I've studied lots of Gnostic esoteric knowledge, I've done, you know, um, 15 years of recovery and deep shadow work, and, you know, with codependency and relationship dynamics. But there is no wisdom like the wisdom that's in ourselves. And that's, you know, that's where I'm at now is, and that's part of the work I do. 
when I work with people. It's not about me teaching you something. It's about me holding a space for where you already are so that you can see the natural wisdom in you. I love astrology because it's an it's an imprint of when the soul takes its first breath. It's cool to look at that. It's like an appreciation of architecture or beauty where you can see, oh, there's this structure that I've come into and why, and to be able to question it and use that creativity and tap into the infinite mind that knows way more than any of us know. Right. I'm just wondering, Melody, because so, um, thank you for all of that. Like there's so much you just shared. Um, I'd like to just like, go back to visit a couple of the points. Um, and one is um, when you started teaching yoga in your 20s, like I'm kind of curious, like you say you had a spiritual awakening. Did that come after you had stepped into recovery? Um, I'm just okay. thinking about there's so many layers you build up when you're in your addiction, right? You're, you're preventing mm -hmm. yourself from coming in. And I can see that all the things, all the work you've done around, even in sonography and, and medicine, in yoga and um, and learning the anatomy and allowing yourself to go within, which was a place that you needed to investigate and go into the darkness. But how did you find the strength and the, the um, ability to move into that fear, which you've been numbing yourself from and a lot of people mm. do, right? How did you lean in and hold space for that? For, for me, I, I really got into yoga as, uh, at 18. This was before anybody was teaching class or certifying, yeah. you know, um, I read it in a book and I started doing it and I started to have these experiences okay. at eight, at 18. And then a couple of years later, I was really drinking a lot. And, and part of that initiation into my addiction and not following this, the path of the yogini, um, holy was because I was in a partnership of four years and he developed delusional schizophrenia. And mm -hmm. in, in that relationship, this was like the love of my life. I felt like we were Romeo and Juliet. And as I watched him transform, you know, where he was saying, you know, there are bombs in the car and I had gotten pregnant with him. And I ended up having an abortion because there was so much tumultuousness and I was so young and I, I just didn't, I didn't know what else to do, you know? And, um, all of that in, in, um, just kind of emerging brought up and triggered deep wounds of separation and abandonment. It really reactivated my childhood. And mm -hmm. um, for me, it just was like, I have to numb this. I can't live like this. And mm -hmm. so I started drinking. And when I, when I actually um, came to recovery, my mother has been in recovery for 20 years and I grew up across the street from the birthplace of Bill Wilson who's the founder of Alcoholics oh, yeah. Anonymous yeah. which is the, the irony in that and his yeah. Bill, yeah he's literally buried a mile down the road from my childhood home and so you know with my mom being there she used to say to me um, you know if anything ever happens you can always call you know the hotline of Alcoholics Anonymous I was like gross make me barf I'm never gonna reach out for help I'm never gonna I'm never gonna be as weak as you look what you did to me you know and that's that victim mentality when we put responsibility outside of the self that's the um, the self-centeredness of active addiction and yeah. I moved to Hawaii to go to massage school in 2003 and and I got in an accident and I just woke up one morning and was like I'm not going to live through another mm. substance induced accident and I'd been in many already up to the, up to that point and that was 25 okay. and um 
it was, I think that there's, you know, a place they call it the jumping, jumping off point. It's like, we can't go on and we can't go back. Yeah. And what enters is this spirit of grace, the spirit that allows us to let go of everything and um, just go down the river, just go with the stream that's there. And that stream for me was, was remembering the words of my mother to call, you know, AA and a hotline. And I went. Um, and from that day on, you know, I had a solid, I think, 10 years of really being engrossed in the community of recovery. And so that was exponentially um, important to me. And that's very much, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. You get constant loving support. You get um, commitments and responsibility to show up for yourself and others. And then there is this container, safe container that's held through the process of recovery and doing the step work. And the step work that's done in traditional Alcoholics Anonymous or any 12-step based recovery is what's done in most spiritual traditions. It's in all of it. They're fundamental components of self-reflection and evaluation and sharing that with another person in honesty and making reparations or amends in your life to depower some of those, those things. Because a lot of the pain of existence, existential angst actually arises from our mind. It's not really in reality. It's in some misconstruction of the way we view reality. This idea of change your mind, change your life is, is, is powerful work. And that is what recovery gave to me. And so having community is so important and it's always been important. And although I'm, you know, I've done a tremendous amount of service work on many levels in the recovery community. My life in the last five years has really moved a little bit more away to consensus reality because a lot of people right now are waking up and needing something similar. And I think that my my journey with all of the other healing modalities um, are also helpful for people who don't identify um, as an addict in some way. And and one of the main things I think with clients that I see are highly empathic, intuitive, sensitive people who kind of fit under this umbrella of codependency where relationship becomes the primary dynamic. And when relationships become the primary dynamic, oftentimes if you look deep enough, there's cycles that are running where we've, you know, for me, I had a chaotic type of um, childhood. And so those were the types of lovers I was attracting. Mm. I was attracting narcissistic men. I'm like, why do I keep, why do these unavailable men keep showing up in my life? Well, if you have a signature of abandonment or rejection as a child, no matter how subtle or gross it is, um, you want to go home, right? You want to go home. And if that home place, default place is one of rejection or abandonment, then you recreate it. And so that's what I was doing. And it wasn't until really going through and itemizing every single relationship, romantic and non-romantic, because this was also playing out in work modes um, and in friend spaces that, oh, this isn't me. This is because I feel like I need this to, to go home. 
but I don't live there. I don't live there anymore. Right. And so what's the new home and and living from a different place. And it's, you know, it's very different today, but that unwinding process took a long time. It took, it takes a, yeah, I love that um, idea or that, that, that like deep desire that we have to come home over and over yeah. again. Yeah. yeah, and that I know I have found that on my mat, right? Yeah. I have found that in yoga. I have found that my temple, my body is my home, right? Mm-hmm. And not all those other things that we try to create outside of ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that is like, I can see the beauty in yoga as... I mean, I see the beauty in yoga to save the world, my goodness, but I can see how, how it could be such a beautiful way to um, move into recovery. And to when you, again, like, I can, I guess it's that spiritual component that gave you the strength to come within and to heal. Yeah. Yeah. And oftentimes that spiritual component is utter vulnerability and brokenness. Yes. Right. Yeah. And really feeling it yeah. on a deep level. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody. But I think there's some beautiful people out there doing some great work mm-hmm. like Glennon Doyle, Brené Brown. Um, you guys yes. have other names of people that are giving us the courage to know that we can't find joy if we're not willing to be vulnerable. Right. You can't mm-hmm. get there from here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think so. And when it comes to healing, you know, that that shame that everyone lives under for so long mm-hmm. um, that until we can shep, step out from it, right, and be vulnerable, right? It's two things. It's coming out from behind the shame, which immediately leads into vulnerability, right? right? And that that is the, yeah. the breeding ground for joy and for recovery from mm-hmm. what I'm understanding. Yeah, most definitely. And it can take a long time to step out from behind the shame. There's so much mm-hmm. different, you know, things that you need to heal with the shame. Yeah. And what does that look like? like? Like, I mean, if you're, if you're still in deep in the shame, I think there's a lot of depression. Um, and I think that it ultimately eventually will lead to relapse if you don't take care of that. If you don't take care of the shame, even if it's, you know, five years down the road, you're living and burying that and it's in, it's in your brain in a file somewhere that will eventually come out and eat eat at you. Do you agree? Yeah, I feel for me, um, I was always one of those people, also middle child, right? And so the way that I got love was to be perfect, was to get the best grades, clean my room, do the dishes. I want to be, because otherwise I was fighting for attention that was already divided between both parents, you know, um, with busy lives and then also several children. And so for me, I created this perfectionistic tendency. That's how I, that's how I got to have control or a sense of the illusion of control in my life was to be perfect and to keep everything together. And that's also how it was when I was in my addiction. If I just don't let other people know how I'm suffering, I'll be okay. I will continue to maintain the facade. And I think people maintain the facade in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And, um, but there's so much heart pain underneath of that. And for me, that initial process of stepping away from shame was to stop trying to control and do 
and yeah. let people and let people see me and hold me. And that felt so yucky. Uh, it felt <laughs> so yucky because uh, that's where all of that shadow darkness was. I was like, if someone sees how vulnerable I am, how much I need help, how much I need love, they're not going to like me. They're going to reject me and abandon me and put me on the wayside. And in that, you know, that, that one partner that I had that went delusional, delusionally schizophrenic, that was abandonment. He brought that up. When you love deeply and you care about someone, this is, goes back to the parents too. They're going to hurt you. That's a conscious, nonverbal imprintation, imprint in, imprint in the cell, you know? And so breaking through that was feeling the anger, feeling the sorrow, feeling on a visceral level in my bones. Yeah. Yeah. I had to, I had to allow that part of the inner child. Oh, I am unworthy. I had to allow myself to feel it completely so that I could be released. Yeah. So that I could know that, oh, that's not true. It's not true. It's like, it's like a lot of spiritual practices talking, talk about walking through narrow doorways or, you know, the eye of the needle and this fulcrum, right? There's this, this place of rebirth and that's a lot of the work that I do is through the sh through the shadow how, how can we get to that deepest space and die right yeah and die it hurts so bad it yeah. hurts so bad so it's allowing yourself to feel that pain instead yes. of numbing it and then um you know are there some techniques you use to to find your way through it like to is it breath is it getting on your mat is it journaling like when you're feeling that or do you do ritual with rituals or yeah for me um it's been a lot of things depending yeah. i feel like as we all evolve like for a long time it was really written specific organized written inventory and that process that they that's a beautiful effective structure in recovery models that really works writing things down telling someone about it talking yeah. about it taking the power out of it right. and for me i'm a very physical person so i'm a nature girl i um I, i'm also a communicator so i have to have i call them my rider dies you know i gotta have those few people in my life yep. who always know what's going on who accept me for who i am all the time yep. so that i feel like it's safe to reach out like hey this is what's going on for with me even if it's just ranting or if it's like you know getting really honest about something that's there and as soon as i do that it releases that energy and then for me god is in nature i mean it's in everything truly yeah but i'm one of those people that recharges in the simplicity and beauty of nature there's so much wisdom there for me you know at this point now i can totally relate to that yeah you talk about that a lot i do <laughs> where's mom gone for another walk yeah <laughs> <In the wood. laughs> <laughs> and probably doing that with mushrooms, <laughs> probably forage <laughs> also. But yeah, thank you. That's that's beautiful, and I think we all have to find what works, right? Find what feels yeah. good, more of it. But it's still, like, not in a sense of running from those emotions and those feelings, yeah. but in, in the sense of allowing yourself to feel them deeply. And it's true. When I'm out in the forest, I feel more held there than mm -hmm. I do anywhere else in my life, right? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, that's the work we have to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Being seen is really, it can be challenging to let people see yeah. us. Yeah, it is very much so. Yeah, no, it's challenging and stepping, yeah, stepping out and especially like um, being perfect and then 
because I definitely relate to that, like putting the perfect life on. Um, mm. um, prior to me, like telling my parents and stuff, I was a functioning addict. And so many people are, were always like, oh, you have such a great, cute family. You know, like yeah. the perfect family. And my cousin was always like, oh, I envy you. I hope I have that. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm like dying inside. And I have, you yeah. know, I just came out or came back inside from, you know, staying well. <laughs> but little do they know, you know. Yeah. And, um yeah and then stepping out into that it's so much shame and yeah you you don't think these people are going to think of you they don't they no longer want to be you and they no longer you're not what they thought they you were it's definitely mm -hmm. hard yeah stepping into that shadow work is hard mm -hmm. yeah and being less than i i um i've been really thinking a lot about boundaries late, lately and yeah. um, that idea that we have that they're not, um, that there's a separation, right? Or um, that we're, we're telling people they're not enough, like, or that we're, right. instead of seeing that they are just clearly like, they're expressions of love, right? And that when we can stand in our truth and when we can um, be able to express what we need, even if it makes the people in our life uncomfortable. And I wish for Caitlin and I that I knew all of this um, earlier in life to be able to say, we're imperfect. Mm -hmm. You can make me uncomfortable. Right. In fact, make me mm. uncomfortable if it helps <laughs> you in your truth. Right. 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 And then when we do that for ourselves, we're allowing everyone in our lives to do that also. It's so true. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. But it's hard. It's hard to do, especially... Um, especially um, when you're afraid of um, rejection. Right. Just mm -hmm. rejection. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And but I, through that is empowerment. It's, I mean, what right, comes after it is. Other side. Yeah. Yeah. And you also, uh, Melody, I, I really um, am very aware that you're talking a lot about healing the subtle body, right? Yes. Subtle energies yes. and, um, and I'd like to talk and lead a little bit into the work you do because I do think that not everyone knows the power of our energetic bodies and how we need to heal them. I mean, we need to feed ourselves good food. We need to light up from the inside out. We need to move our bodies, take care of ourselves. But there's also this energy that you're talking about that even, I think you're implying that even what your father carried into this lifetime, his biology became your biography right mm -hmm. it was passed yes. along to you and so yeah i'd like to to just um if you can share a little bit about um that work that i know i've had i've had the pleasure of having some energy work from you and uh, some of your other gifts but just talk a little bit about the importance of healing uh, energetically um the shamanic work that i do is energy based and although I've been taught a lot of energy work, what my own inner guidance has shown me has been the most powerful. Um, but it's, you know, in, in Tantra, they call it the left-handed path, right? It's this, it is not, the, it's not the structure. It's not our left brain. What's the right? It's like the right brain, feminine, creative energy, and there are no words. It is, um, there are no words, and so they're just vibrations in, in the body. And when there's wounding there or hurting there, they, they become like these little, some scars, these little, 
these little places of um, darkness or um, pockets that as we go through our day-to-day life, start to pick up more of the same and hold in the energetic field where they become leaks, where we leak out our energy so we feel very tired, or they continue to hold old paradigms of thought, especially with epigenetics, things that are um, through the line of our ancestors, like, oh, for me, um, you know, to be a a woman of color means that I don't have power or that I am less than some of those things in order to touch into the subtle body. It's really tapping into this space for me, I would say of not knowing of surrender of total surrender. And in that space, once it goes beyond the mind, it's all heart space Mm -hmm. and the heart, is a transducer i do ultrasound it is a transducer and it feels and knows everything and in the heart there's they they call it the tiny i think the tiny mind in the heart and there's a place in the heart that has infinite wisdom and it just taps into each other we all have hearts we all are transmitting and receiving all the time and so for me when i do energy work i allow my heart to feel someone completely and wholly i get to feel their energetic body and let go of my mind and my ego. I start to um, open that space where there are no boundaries. The ego ultimately creates the walls and boundaries that says, hey, I'm different from you. And when that gets dissolved, all of a sudden, there's so much spaciousness. And it, it really is surrendering to a higher power for me in that space. And I allow that infinite wisdom and energy to work with the person. It's not me doing become a conduit and that's been part of my journey is to create a clear channel for that energy to move through so that it can transmit in whatever way needed and I think when I do energy work it's really I allow that that source to come through and 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 play and play with the person who's on the table so that they can feel the energetic body because the energetic body is the place where we have magic, right? That's where our superpowers come alive. Once your energetic body gets cleared, you're like, oh, wow, I'm leveling up. I have, I, all of a sudden I have, you know, like start to really be empathic or intuitive about things, have these foresights um, and insights where you never, you never would. Like yeah. you can tell what's happening without, without words. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point right there for people that haven't had the experience of energy work, which I didn't for, I mean, I was a Western medicine girl. (laughs) I didn't know anything about um, alternative healing or the energetic uh, body until, um, you know, probably 20 years ago. But when I had my first aha moment with that to realize, yeah, we have to do the hard work um, and we can talk about a lot of things. But to know that there's a way to move and heal that is nonverbal, right? That is just in this mystical, energetic place um, that's very real. Um, it's incredibly powerful. And to have people like yourself to help lead uh, people through that healing um, begins to open the door for them to come inside and to feel that intuition, mm-hmm. which you may you know, have grown to not trust. I mean, we all had it as a kid, right? But then yeah. we layered up over the years. And so this energy work is just, I, just for our community, it's incredibly powerful. Um, you are all more powerful than you could possibly know. 
right? Um, but Absolutely. speak out, and I'll, I definitely, Melody, want you to share your resources here. And there's just some beautiful healing that sometimes we just need our hand held um, to help open that door, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, to tap in and yeah. and the whole chakra system. Um, there's just there's so much, and I invite everyone to explore that a little bit if you're curious. Um, and through your yoga practice, you if you in stepped onto a mat with anyone that teaches yoga, I would hope they would open that world and that potential. Um, Cause that's a spiritual journey right there also. Yeah. You can come to the mat for whatever reason you want to, but ultimately you're not going to keep coming without something busting open inside of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And ultimately what busts open is where we've blocked ourselves from receiving love and knowing that we are love. I know you're a bhakti yoga and it is all about the devotion of the heart that in and outer dance of being in love yeah. and appreciation of that love in every moment with every breath and every sound. Yeah. It becomes a beautiful journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for everything you're sharing. And can one more thing, I just want you for the community just to share a little bit about the epigenetic piece. Um, when I think about epigenetics, I think that it's an interplay maybe of our genetics and our lifestyle choices, but maybe is that correct in how you're perceiving it? Um, it, it can be, but just like a computer is programmed with specific software, our genetics and DNA are software, and they found that their trauma signatures that, get, that actually get passed on from mother to baby through the, through the lines of okay. our ancestors. Yeah. And so fe- feeling those things and having um, no environmental reason to, to feel them and being like, am I crazy that I feel this? I have, there's no reality that this emotion is being founded on it makes it very sticky and tr- and tricky to say, okay, am I, am, do I actually need psychological assistance or it, what's happening? And I think for me, epigenetics plays out most um, acutely in the body okay. in those, when the body tightens up or when the body has a physical reaction to something emotional. And that is where I feel like the power of energy healing happens because it's, you know, resting back into that space to say, okay, what's really taking place? What's the reality of the situation? And what feels like it's coming from somewhere I don't know. Yeah. And those, those spaces are deeper. They're not, they're not um, always readily available, what's taking place. You never know where someone's coming from. Just like you don't know what kind of day someone has if they cut you off. I mean, you don't know why. Um, it's not necessarily that they're a jerk and they're trying to get in front of you. There might actually be something that's playing on a very subtle level that you're not aware of, or I'm not aware of. And epigenetics is that I feel, but it is also underneath the stories that get imprinted through the DNA in genetics is this also reciprocal polarity of divinity of the blank slate, of our divine true selves, of awakening all the chakras, of having a kundalini experience where we have oneness. And then coming back into that body to say, um, I am one with the divine, but I also have this story. But right now I can hold space for both and neither. And I think that's where we are. That's like, how can you bring your yoga practice off the mat? How can we bring it into every circumstance that we're in in life? Yeah. totally a practice it's totally um a process of awareness and yeah and love for ourselves and everything yeah and trusting trusting that exactly 
you know, you're being led in exactly uh, the right direction and everything is exactly as it should be. Right. Not to say that you can't make choices that shift that. Right. Because right. <laughs> as we scary. are, it is, it's, it's change. And, yeah. Um, you know, change is scary, especially in recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Finding yeah. trust again is mm -hmm. um, yourself. Is right. Important. Right. Yeah. And I also. Yeah, life is not. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, you go. Life is, I feel like someone, I met someone in like a, like a, TJ Maxx or something and she was a, a cancer survivor and we ended up chatting and she said something to me that stuck with me it was many years ago she said life isn't happening to us it's happening for us so even those uncomfortable circumstances are really giving us this opportunity for us to see our divinity to see how we can move through in a place of non-attachment and strength and power that we are you know we're with it but, um, you know, not completely beyond it. And it's there so we can see that experience yeah. of divinity. When someone is um, speaking of that idea of letting go, right, and trusting and um, how we do grasp and try to hold on, when, when, um, when someone is in the depths of addiction, is it still a sense of, trying to get control when you're using are you trying or are you trying to let go <laughs> i i don't quite understand you think i don't know for myself i still thought i had control when i was actively using like still thought i had it together and i had control um maybe there was a part of me that kind of knew i didn't but i didn't let that come through i had control i knew yeah i, I was good i and guess really until you admit that you don't have control you can't really make that shift I think, yeah, because you were controlling, like Melody, you were talking about to the external world, it looked like you were mm -hmm. under control because you kept this a secret. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, right. and we've been in, we've been in a society that's really validated and honored external control. Yes. You know, and that is all masculine principle. I also go to masculine and feminine principles and masculine energy is about drive. It is about creating control over um, the external reality and the feminine energy is about receptivity and it's been oppressed suppressed and repressed on many levels throughout a long time but we're we're shifting as a you know humanity we're in the kali yuga and the feminine is 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 rising and there's so, there's a lot of wounds there for people on personal as well as collective levels so we're all dropping into that space of surrender and it's you don't get a lot of praise or support from society being in those states of consciousness, but conversations like this and practices like yoga and communities that emerge that support that are, I mean, that's, that's on the forefront of the wave of where humanity is going and where we are right now. Yeah. We need, we need each other. We need each other's support to say, it's okay to be there. We need each other's love and make mistakes, flail. Who cares? You're here. And that's all that matters. And you're supported. Yeah. Right. And you and you don't have to be alone. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that. Amen to that. Yes. <laughs> why we're here to to share our stories and to let us all um know that we're not alone, right? And right. so that we can Love. be more comfortable sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there are communities out there and people out there for people that, you know, maybe don't know anyone other than 
than people that are actively using. Because there are a lot of people that their parents are um, addicts, their family is addicts, and they really don't know anyone outside of that world. But, you know, just go to a meeting or, you know, hopefully you can find this online. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 So um, I just want to like review a little bit before we um, finish up and thank you for your story and understanding um, your journey. It's uh, a beautiful unfolding. And I, I, I just like to think about what the, your why for sort of turning the corner seemed to be that you, you know, it was an accident. It sounds like really that scared you, <laughs> right? That was like, wait a minute, one more time. And that might be the last time, right? So it became a little bit of a fight for your your life, right? right? Yeah, absolutely. And then you went to some meetings, you engaged in the AA community and the 12 step program. Yep. And then the thing that has kept you in your sobriety, in your tools of resiliency to stay there have been really yoga and your tapping into all your, um, yeah, the higher, higher power. power. Yeah. But all your energy healing, all oh, your right. shamanism, really your, your intuition and being staying in that, that place and sharing, like in being in service. Is that yes. fair to say? Yeah. Yes. And it sounds like you're branching out. Like it sounds like you worked a lot in the recovery community for a lot of years and you're growing your yes. business in a lot of, and you're sharing in a lot of different ways now. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you for all of that. I think there's so much wisdom there. And so tell um, everyone how they can find you. Uh, you can find me on my website at melodymysticjoy.com. I also do energetic astrological updates twice a month on my YouTube channel. That's Melody Joy Astrology. And so Melody, you do a combination of um, coaching right and also yes. just um well tell us you tell us a little bit about the specifics of what you offer um i do um intuitive astrological charts so i'll do sometimes just a natal chart people who have birthdays or people who want interval updates on how the cosmos is affecting them it's super helpful to see some of the transits that are coming up especially now right okay you know to give guidance to show and help people, you know, there's a light over here in this segment of your life, whether it's career or home or partnership, to let them know what's available. And, you know, it's all about you and how you choose to use it. And so I do that with my astrological consultations. My spiritual coaching is really about creating a space for you to evolve in a way that's aligned with you. And I use the chakra system. So I go through those parts and in the body and every chakra deals with um, different parts of life, whether it's money, security, sexuality, partnership, power, heart-based um, experience, how you express, how you, how you tap into your intuition and how you ultimately perceive the divine and using those in a way that can be structured for people to align with what their natural um, soul is calling them to do. I do a lot of soul connection. I activate people's regular personality with their higher self or their soul self so they can feel more empowered so they can feel that they're more connected to the dynamic of all of life yes and i've been able to receive be on the receiving end of that and i can 
I'll let you all know how incredibly powerful it is. I mean, it leads you back to your all-knowing, but it definitely, it's amazing uh, what you've shared with me and how it's guided me forward and empowered me in many ways. So thank you so much. And I encourage you all to check out the wonderful work that Melody's putting out into the world. From Hawaii right now, a little jealous yes. here. We're a little chilly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Is there? I just. Is there any one like parting piece of wisdom that you would like to share with the audience? Put you on the spot here a little bit, but sure. Yeah, you have and are everything you've ever wanted and needed. Always in all ways. Hmm. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. That. You are amazing. I'm so glad you uh, joined us. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. Namaste to you. Namaste, beauties. Yes. Take care. And we love you. We love everyone out there listening. And um, yeah, never know you can find the, the brightest light through whatever darkness you might be walking through. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Zen Mama and the Addict and for being part of our extended family. We love you guys. Have a wonderful day. Be sure to check out our website, which has a link to our social media pages, Instagram and Facebook. Remember, we can do hard things, right? We can't stop the struggle, but together we can learn how to serve.